Well, church family, we are in the middle of a series called Taking Shape in which we're looking at how God will oftentimes use difficult seasons, difficult circumstances, uh, confusing spaces, and otherwise uh, painful realities to shape us into the type of people he's calling us to be. And last week, as we kicked off the series, we, we looked at the book of Exodus, which, which is where we'll be again today uh, in chapter 19 and on. And we saw that God used uh, really painful circumstances in the life of the Israelite people in order to shape them and then called them to become something new, something that he had in store for them. And we've been looking at this Exodus story in the book of Exodus to inform how we should be thinking about God's shaping in our lives. I... I, I, I I, I keep hearing people say that they wish that things would go back to normal. Y'all ever heard that before? Maybe you've said it yourself. I know I feel tempted to say it myself. I wish things would go back to normal. And for many of us, I think I know what we mean, you know, uh, normal rhythms and things like that. But, but for some of us, we, we think, you know, back in 2019 when my life was just so awesome, I can't wait to get back there. And my question for you is, was 2019 just so awesome that you can't wait to go back? I think instead of saying, you know, I can't wait for things to get back to normal, I think that, that the, 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 the Spirit may be calling us in this season to say, we can't wait to move forward into the space that God has for us. And so as a church family, we're shifting. It's, it's been about 12 months of, uh, as a church family, for many of you in your homes and your workplaces, we've been in, in triage mode. We've been looking at the issues that are right in front of us, the decisions that are right in front of us, and rightfully so. We've rightfully been in triage mode, but now we're sensing that God is calling us to shift our posture, to shift our view from that of a triage mode, looking at what's right in front of us, to lift up our eyes and to begin to look ahead, not necessarily expecting that we would see clearly what God has in store for us, but rather to lift up our eyes and to begin to look ahead in a spirit of anticipation. And so we're shifting into a season of anticipating what God has in store for us as a church family and for our own homes, workplaces, and lives. And I want you to know, if you don't already, that anticipation is an act of faith. Because anticipation means we look back on what God has done and we look into his deep and true promises and we look forward to our uncertain future and we anticipate that God is going to remain consistent in his character, that God is going to be powerful enough then in our future to fulfill his promise that he has made in the past. Anticipation for God working in our lives also means that we're going to look inwards and recognize how he is shaping us and preparing us for what lies ahead. Which reminds me of Plato. Have you guys ever seen Plato before? Comes in little containers like this. When I was a kid, the containers were this big, but capitalism, they're this big now. But if you take out of the, uh, out of the Plato container, you get this Play-Doh, and if you've ever watched a child work the Play-Doh, it's, it's really a fun process. I, I've got 
uh, four children, and my four-year-old, uh, she'll sit at the kitchen counter or uh, the dinner table or uh, the bathtub or my bed or the laundry room or the sandbox or the roof of our house, and she'll play with Play-Doh. She was one day sitting at the kitchen counter, and she, was, she took the Play-Doh out, and then she began to do something, which I think every kid does with Play-Doh. They begin to mold it. You guys ever seen this phenomenon? They begin to shape the Play-Doh, and they begin to do violence to the Play-Doh. You know, they're just, they're just beating the crap out of the Play-Doh, and they're, and they're moving the Play-Doh around, and they're, they're, they're shaping the Play-Doh. And I wonder sometimes, what must it be like to be Play-Doh in the hands of a four-year-old. It must be disconcerting. It must be uncomfortable. It must be frustrating. It must be scary. It must be uncertain and confusing. It might be even disappointing. But if you've ever watched a child work the Play-Doh, Though they're doing violence, so to speak, though they're doing work onto the Play-Doh, they're using their strength and their power to shape and to mold the Play-Doh. And while the Play-Doh may not feel comfortable in the process, one of the things that you begin to realize is that it it requires that shaping work in order to make the Play-Doh have deeper value than just a bunch of wheat and water from a yellow tub. You see, Play-Doh becomes something beautiful when the hands of the potter or the artist form it into something wonderful. And my daughter formed something that looked kind of like this. Now, what was once just Play-Doh became something special to me. I said, honey, what's that? She said, it's a heart. Why did you make a heart? Because I love you, Daddy. And that's why she's my favorite But you see, even though it took work, it took pressure, it took even removal, it took shaping, even though the clay may not like the process, the process is required in order to shape it into what God has in store. It cannot become a symbol of beauty. It cannot become a powerful tool of communicating God's love and grace without the pressure, the pain, the confusion, the frustration, the shaping. You see, as far as I understand the scriptures, though this year has been difficult, it is clear to me that God is shaping you for a purpose. In fact, I'd like to just prove it to you, if you don't mind. Uh, If you would, please uh, breathe in and then out. You see, breath is a reminder, moment by moment. Breath is a reminder that God is not through with me yet. And as long as you still draw air into your lungs, God ain't through with you neither. Which means that God is still in the process of shaping you into what he has in store for your future. This last year has been kind of a pain, no? Anyone want to testify? (laughs) Amen, right? 
And there's been so much frustration and confusion. And I'm, I'm like, frankly, honestly, fam, like I'm still in the process of kind of working through all the trauma and loss that I've experienced, not only in my role and in my family, my personal life. I mean, there, there just seems to be so much. I'm still in process. Like I'm not done with this season yet. And I know that there's vaccines that are hitting the shelves, and I know that different states are removing face mask orders and all that business, but I just, I feel like regardless of what's going on out there, in here, I know that I ain't even close to being done. And yet in this space, I'm anticipating that God has a purpose for this season to shape me into what he wants me to become in the future. And I know that it's good because he is good. And so how do we, right, this is the frustrating part. When you're in the middle of being shaped, you can't see it, right? When you're in the process of being formed, there's no comfort in seeing the end that God has in store for you yet. You can't even see past the moment that you're in. Have you guys ever been in that space? And so let's look back to how God has been at work in the life of his people and see if we can't discern some truth. Uh, we're going to be in Exodus uh, chapter 19. Uh, and when we're gonna, where we're going to pick up the story is this, that, the, the, that God has chosen, in the book of Genesis, God chose a family uh, from this dude named Abraham. And he made a promise to Abraham that he would make out of Abraham a great nation. And the point of the nation would be to bless all the nations of the earth. But he starts by making Abraham a family. And so there's Abraham, and then his son Isaac, and then his son Jacob. And Jacob had a bunch of kids. But then there was a famine that struck the land, and Jacob and his family uh, went, excuse me, Jacob's family, Family went to Egypt because there was food there, and that's where you go when there's a famine in the land. They go to Egypt, and they live there for hundreds of years, and they flourish. They begin to multiply. In fact, God is so good to his people, uh, the Israelites, in this land of Egypt that it scares the pants off of the king of Egypt. The Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, is so concerned that he's going to lose his power that he orders that all of the Israelites would be enslaved. So what's going to happen to God's promises to make out of Abraham's family a great people, to be a blessing to all the other peoples when they're enslaved? This looks like it's the end of the line. But then God does a miracle. God does a move, like we just sang about a moment ago. And he works through this leader called Moses, who goes and stands before Pharaoh and says, let my people you guys have seen the movie, good. And so they go from slavery. Now, TV time out. If you're enslaved, I just want you to imagine, you're back in Egypt, you're enslaved, and then you hear that there's going to be redemption. You hear that God is going to release the captives. And you think, don't you, that where you're headed is like Awesomeville, right? God's made this promise. I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to bring you up out of this slavery in Egypt. And then you, as a person who's now being promised this redemption, you might be thinking, it's just, we're, you know, we're going to head out. We're going to, go, we're going to go into some land and we're going to continue to be fruitful and multiply and everything's going to be awesome. Hmm? You want to become the nation that God promised. You want to become a nation state. You want an army. You want safety. You want security. You want an economy. If you're a people group taken out of slavery, you expect, don't you? You want, don't you, to go and to become a nation with peace and prosperity. Don't you want that? 
Now, here's the jam. That's not what happens next. And that's super frustrating, <laughs> right? You, you see in the text that God takes his people from a family and then they're enslaved by Egypt. And then instead of calling them out to, to immediately be a nation, he takes them through the Sinai wilderness, a desert. Have you guys ever experienced desert life before? Now, I know that some of us are hikers. I know Greg Ward just hiked 18 of the peaks in Phoenix. Uh, he's, he's a superhuman person, good friend of mine. Um, but for most of us, isn't walking around in the desert a drag? I mean, I get the morning hikes and the pictures with the sunset and God's canvas and all that business, but if you're out there for like five days with no rations, are you having a good time? Right, five days, no rations, wandering around the desert. Are you doing selfies with, you know, blessed be the Lord? No, the desert is a horrible place to be for a long period of time, Phoenicians. <laughs> he takes them to the wilderness and he leads them through this process in the wilderness before he makes of them into a great nation. He does so by taking them through his workshop. Not woodshed, that's different. <laughs> workshop. He takes them through his workshop of the wilderness. And through his workshop, Carmen Imes, who's an Old Testament professor, says, the Sinai wilderness is the workshop of Israel's becoming. The pain, the confusion, the frustration, the fear, the anger, the disappointment, the sadness and loss, the wilderness is the place of our becoming. Whatever God is making us into, he uses the wilderness to shape us. And so we're going to pick it up in Exodus 19. Uh, check this out. So in the third month from the very day the Israelites left the land of Egypt. Remember, what was their status in Egypt? Slaves. Slaves. Okay, great. They came to the Sinai wilderness, and everyone guessed. Right? They're in the wilderness, right? We want to become a nation, but where are we? Wilderness. Now, I know you guys already know this, but I just want to remind us that one of the common themes in Scripture is the wilderness. One of the common scenes in Scripture is wilderness. And wilderness is known for being the place of confusion, frustration, disappointment, anger, sadness, and loss. It's a place of unsettledness. The wilderness is always viewed as a place of death looming around every corner, a place of hopelessness, a place of despair. The desert is not in the Scriptures viewed as a place of parties and surplus. You guys with me so far? So every time you see a scene of the wilderness, you, just, you should be thinking, okay, something, this is going to be painful. Now, there's another common scene. I know you guys already know this because you guys scored 100 on Bible trivia at last night's party. Um, you guys play Bible trivia at the parties you go to, right? It, maybe it's just me. <clears throat> okay, boring pastor doesn't get invited to a lot of parties. Uh, you know that wilderness is a scene that's going to tell you that something painful is going to happen, but mountaintops are also a scene. Mountaintops are used in Scripture as a scene to tell you or to inform you that God is about to do a move, that God is about to speak. In fact, have you guys ever heard the phrase, the phrase a mountaintop experience? That God is going to speak in such a fresh way in this moment that we need to zoom in and pay attention. So when you see a mountaintop, we're supposed to do this. And we're going to expect God to speak. And when we see a wilderness, we go like this. Oh, no. 
Now, on occasion, the wilderness and the mountaintop meet. And when they meet, boy, you should really expect something's going to happen. Let's take a look. Uh, you feel this is all a setup, right? You guys are getting that, right? Okay. Uh, the Sinai Wilderness. They traveled from Rephidim, great vacation spot, came to the Sinai Wilderness. Where are they again? They're in the? How do you know that? Because it says then they camped in the? Up until this point in time, the word wilderness has been used how many times? Three times. Three times. We're only a couple verses in, and already three times the author is screaming at you what? Wilderness. Where are they? Okay. And you guys have ever, you guys know this, right? That the wilderness is often used as a place of sadness, disappointment, anger, frustration, despair, agony, sadness, loss, etc. You guys have heard this before? Okay. They're in the wilderness. Israel camped there in front of, now TV time out. Have you guys ever heard of the idea that a mountaintop is usually one of those spaces where God's going to speak a fresh word? You guys ever heard this before? Okay. When those two things meet, we should expect something to happen. Where are they? In the wilderness. Israel camped in front of the? You think they might be expecting something? Moses went up the mountain to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountaintop. This is what you must say to the house of Jacob. Remember that family, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, also known as the Israelites, right? The house of Jacob, and explain to the Israelites. That's the same group of people. Watch what he says. You have seen what I did. Notice what he says. He calls them to do what? Remember. Remember what I did three months ago, God's saying. You saw what I did to the Egyptians and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. This is something that happened when? Past, present, or future, according to the Israelites. It was in their past. What's God saying? Remember what I've done. Do you guys see it? So acknowledge where you're at. You're in the wilderness. And then speak to the people what? Remember what I've done. Do you guys see that? Right? Where are they at? They're in the wilderness. And they camp in front of the mountain. They're acknowledging they're in the wilderness. And then two, they remember what God has done. Now, if you will, now he's going to give them a job to do. Okay? So we're going to remember. You're going to acknowledge where we're at. We're going to remember what I've done, what God has done. And now I'm going to give you an assignment. Notice what he says. If you will, what? Carefully listen to me and keep my covenant. You will be my own possession out of all the peoples. By the way, that language of possession, I know that has a negative connotation, especially in America, but this is like, this is like God's treasured, treasured, beloved possession. This is a, a communication of love. You'll be my treasured possession. You will be my treasured possession out of all of the peoples, although the whole earth is mine. I love this. I love how God, every now and again, you're zooming in, and he's just like, P.S., every square inch of the cosmos is mine. What's your problem? <laughs> although the whole earth is mine. And you will be. Now he's going to. Okay, so what he's done so far is we're acknowledging where we're at. We're in the wilderness. And then we're to remember what God has done. Remember how I brought you out of Egypt. Hmm? And then he says, I need you, I'm calling you, if you listen carefully and keep my covenant, then I will, and now we're pivoting to the fourth step, we're going to look forward to what I'm making you to become. Do you see it? Check this out. Then you will be my kingdom of priests and my holy nation. Then you will be, right? So acknowledge where you're at, remember what I've done, listen carefully to me, keep my covenant, 
and then I will make you into a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. That language of holy nation, that's not like a bunch of goody two-shoes. That language of holy means something set apart for special purpose. I've got a special purpose for you. Now, for those of us that are uh, Jesus followers, you might be wondering, okay, so this language of priest is kind of weird. And, and for those of us that are still trying to figure out who Jesus is, maybe, maybe you're here today, this is the first time you've been inside of a church in forever or ever, and you're just maybe wondering, does Jesus have anything for me? I just, I can't say just loudly enough, Jesus loves you so much. And no matter where you've been and no matter where you're going, you're welcome here in this church family as we all strive to follow Jesus together. And I would just love it if you would be a part of this uh, series. During this series, we're gonna take a look at how God works in people's lives through painful circumstances. I'd love for you to continue on in this. You're so welcome here. For those of us that are Jesus followers, maybe we're familiar with religion or we're familiar with different Christian traditions and we think, you know, we're a Bible church, Caleb. You know, we're non-denominational, the cool church, which doesn't exist. There's no such thing as a cool church, um, right? You guys know that, right? It's like cool debate team, like just, it's categorical. Um, okay, so uh, <laughs> sorry for those of us that I was on the debate team, obviously. Um, we don't do priests, Right? We have pastors or reverends or ministers, but, but for many of us, we think, oh, the priest, that's kind of like the, that's what like our Catholic brothers and sisters do, or maybe our Lutheran brothers and sisters. I mean, we don't Anglicans, you know, we're a Bible church, we don't do priests. And I just, I, I can't say loudly enough, uh, yes, we do. And uh, here's a spoiler alert, it's uh, you. And I'd like to prove it to you. Now, before I prove it to you, I am gonna prove it to you, but before I do that, I wanna just ask, uh, do y'all know what a priest does? There's so much nuance to this, but one of the things that, that's clear to me in scripture is that if you were just to sum it up, uh, the job of a priest is to represent God to the people and represent the people to God. The job of a priest is to represent God to the people and the people to God. Uh, the job of a priest is to, uh, through their lifestyle, through their actions, through their attitudes, through how they engage with other people, is to reflect, reflect the goodness, the grace, the glory of God to the people and uh, to represent the people to God, to pray for the people, to go to God on the people's behalf. I, there's this like kind of weird Christianese word that some people say, maybe you heard it before. It's called intercessory prayer. Uh, to intercede. Uh, it's this language of, on someone else's behalf, I'm going to pray. That's part of the role of the priest. The priest represents God to the people through their life, through their attitudes, through their actions, and represents the people to God through prayer, P praying for others, praying for those in our lives, praying for our community. That's the priestly function. Now, one of the most infamous, or I guess famous, not infamous, famous, um, priestly blessings is in the book of Numbers. Remember, you guys ever heard of Moses before? So Moses had a, a brother named Aaron. Aaron's like the priestiest priest that ever lived. And he was kind of like the first of his line for being a priest in the nation of Israel. And there's this, there's this blessing that God calls Aaron to speak over the people of Israel. It's called the Aaronic blessing or Aaron's blessing. And it says this, this is in Numbers chapter six, verse 24 through 27. Maybe you've heard this before. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you. May the Lord be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you or 
um, look upon you with favor. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give to you peace. And that language of peace is not just the cessation of hostility, it's shalom, it's, it's true human flourishing. And Aaron is to speak this over the people. Now remember that the role of the people as a kingdom of priests is to receive that blessing in order that they might also be a blessing to others. I hope that you see this in scripture too. Every time someone is blessed by God, they're called therefore to be a blessing to others. And the people of Israel, through this blessing, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord be gracious to you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord turn his face to you or show you favor. May the Lord bring you true and ultimate flourishing. That is not just for me and mine. That is for me to receive and then to give to others. We're called as we're blessed to be a blessing to others. And you see that that's the role of Israel. So for those of us that are Jesus followers, that was for Israel. What about you and me? What about us as the church? I'm really glad you asked that question. In 1 Peter, which uh, Peter was a pastor, he was a Jesus follower, he writes to a local church family, and this is what he says to this local church of Jesus followers. You, stop me if you've heard this before. You guys heard anything like this before? See if anything sounds familiar. But you, church, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a nation set apart, a people and ethnos set apart for God's specific purpose. A people for his possession, his treasured and beloved. Do you see what Peter's doing? He's looking back at what God did with Israel and he's learning what God did with Israel and he sees by the power of the spirit that God wants to use the church to live also as a kingdom of priests. You see, we do the priest stuff at Desert Springs Bible Church. We don't get any cool hats, which is a bummer. But if you want to know where the priest is, it's us. Now notice, he gives a job description. This might sound familiar to you. So that, why, why is God making us as the church his kingdom of priests? So that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Notice that he's leveraging that slavery image. Once you were, in, you were trapped, you were enslaved in darkness, but now you have been brought out of the prison, out of the, out of the cell, into the light. You have been called out of darkness into light. Why? Right? You've been blessed so that you may do what? Be a blessing. Proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. Church family, there are 250,000 people in a five-mile radius of this campus who are not yet a part of a Christ-proclaiming church. And the number is growing daily. Do you know that they're building houses up in here? Still. There's still, but this church, this church has been here since 1977, and they're still building houses up here. People are still moving in. And many know Jesus and many do not. And guess what? Jesus loves them so much that he put a church family as a kingdom of priests right here so that they might see how people who reflect God's goodness and grace live and draw them to him. You see, the job of a priest is to represent God to the people and the people to God. I want to ask you a question. 
What would it look like for you to spend time each day representing Phoenix to God? And what would it like for you to spend time out of each day representing God to the people in your life? I don't know what the next month holds. I don't know what the next week holds. I don't even know what I'm doing for lunch. But I know this. I know God has done this work on us and to us in order that he might do work in us and through us. And so we're going to anticipate that. There's four things that we see in the text. As we move from a season of triage to anticipation in our own lives and as a church, we recognize that God is shaping you for a purpose. So what do we do when we can't see the purpose exactly? There's four things I think we pick up from the text. Number one, acknowledge where God has you. Acknowledge where God has you. Israel camped in the wilderness at the foot of the mountain. They knew where they were, but they expected a move. Two, remember what God has done. Look back, just like God said. Remember how I brought you on eagle's wings out of slavery. Look back on what God has done. Remember what God has done. Third, listen carefully for his voice. And finally, live according to his purposes. Remember when he said, I'm calling you to become a kingdom of priests? That is his key purpose for us. So live out that priestly function. Four things, acknowledge where God has you. Number two, remember what God has done. Three, listen carefully for his voice. And four, live according to his purposes. We are all about helping you take your next step. You've heard us say that multiple times, I hope. And one of the key next steps, this is kind of how we understand um, Scripture to be leading us and guiding us, uh, next steps that Jesus' followers can take. Um, it's what we're using for now. It's not perfect, but one of the things that we see consistently in Scripture is that God shapes us for a purpose, and one of those purposes is to serve compassionately in our area of gifting. And I'm so proud and honored uh, of our Celebrate Recovery ministry and our Mending the Soul ministry and the leaders that give of their time, their energy, and their resources, and frankly, their emotional energy to minister in this way and bring healing into people's lives. It's so important. And so thank you so much for your service. And there are many of us who are like, well, I don't know if God's calling me to do that or something else. Maybe we're, we're still in the middle trying to figure out how God's wired us, how he's calling us, how he's shaped us in order that we might live out that priestly role. And I want to encourage you to take advantage of a workshop that we have coming up called Discovering Your Spiritual Shape. It's on March 22nd. And this is for anyone and everyone who wants to learn more, develop some tools to discover how God's wired you to discern his calling in your life, to discern this place in your life. Whatever your next step is in this space, we want to help you discern your gifting and calling. I've used the tools that will be used in this workshop myself. I've found great, great uh, wisdom and direction and vision from them. And I just would really encourage that you would make yourself available and invest your time into this workshop. I also want to say that in the back of the seat in front of you, for those of you that are here in the room, for those online, uh, you can visit our website, dsbc.church/next 
for more information, or you can text in to the number on the screen. But for those of you that are in the room, I'm going to ask that everyone, please, in the back of the seat in front of you, there's a next step card. Would you take that card out, even if you don't plan on using it, even if you're going to make a paper airplane out of it or throw it at one of your neighbors after the service, if you would please grab that next steps card. I'm going to ask that you would take that and just pray over how God might be calling you to take your next step. And if you'd like to, if he calls you to, or if you'd like to take advantage, you can fill that out on the backside. And I know at the bottom it says drop it in the offering basket or direct and connect, but you know, Rona, we've got to change our plans. If you would please place that in the metal boxes uh, next to the doors on your way out. We are committed as a, a leadership team to helping to equip and empower everyone who follows Jesus to step into these places and spaces, to step into God's calling in your life. We look at the four things that we're called to do to acknowledge where God has us, to remember what God has done, to listen carefully to his voice, and to live according to his purpose. And so in just a moment, we're going to take communion. So I'm going to ask that you would get the elements out and hold them in your hand, please. If you would, please take that top layer off. For those of you that are joining us at home, if you would please prepare the elements that you have, uh, whatever you have available to represent the body and blood of Jesus. For those of us in the room, if you would take off that top layer and prepare the bread and then open that second layer and prepare the juice. And we're going to spend a little time multitasking, putting into practice those four lessons that we learned. I'm going to pray for us here in a moment, and then we're going to take communion together, and I'll lead us through that. As I'm praying, I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask that you would quietly, wherever you're at, acknowledge to the Lord that you recognize where he has you. For many of us, this season has been so chaotic, we haven't even realized where we're at today. And so we're going to quietly spend a moment and just wherever you're at in your seats, quietly to the Lord, would you say something to the tune of, Lord, I acknowledge where you have me today. And then I'm going to pray for us. And so would you please reflect quietly in this moment, Lord, I, I acknowledge where you have me today. And then I'll guide us through a prayer and then we'll take communion together. Lord, this uh, 12 months for many of us, perhaps most, if not all of us, has proven to be one of the most difficult seasons in our lives. And the amount of loss and fracture and fear and brokenness, it, it, it covers us like a cloud oftentimes. Many of us, we're even just, we can't even name it. We just sense this ambiguous loss. But we recognize and acknowledge where you have us. And if that space is a desert space, Lord, we know that you are still good. And yet our circumstances may be painful. And so we remember what you have done, Jesus. 
and the giving of your life for each one of us. That through your death, through your burial, and through your mighty resurrection, you have conquered over Satan, sin, and death. And that you promise that as we step in and live as a kingdom of priests, you promise that you will never leave us nor forsake us. Lord, as we remember what you've done, we also want to hear from you. We want to listen carefully. Lord, as we take of these elements and as we sing in just a moment, would you speak to us? Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Would you take and eat? In a moment, we're going to take of the juice. And as the flavor hits your tongue, would you allow the Lord to remind you of his goodness? In that same way, he took of the cup, and after giving thanks, he said, this is my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Would you take and would you drink? Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to ask if you would please, if you're able to, if you would please stand. And we're going to continue to multitask. Our band's going to lead us in a song. It's a version of the ironic blessing. And as we sing it, I'm going to ask that you would do two things. One, that you would receive this blessing as it's sung over you. Allow the words to come in to your mind and your body and your heart, that you would receive the blessing. But also, recognizing that God always blesses us in order that we might be a blessing to others, I'm going to ask that you would sing this blessing over the others in this room and over this city. And so we're going to receive this blessing, but we're also going to speak it over our family, over our neighbors, over our community, over our workplace. For we have been called to be and to live as a kingdom of priests. So let us sing together.